Hi, I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Thomas. And this is the Unbossing Podcast. A show about unleashing the full potential of every organization. We might ask you to say those very nice things for your listeners that you just well, said to us. Right. I'm going to do right. that right away. I'm going to do that right away. Um, first, we say welcome, Francis and Anne. <laughs> yeah. No, let's get right to us. It's very consistent yeah. <laughs> with the message of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, indeed, Thomas, welcome. I'm sorry, Thomas, I just have to start talking because I'm so excited. Is that okay for you? Very much okay for us, Nick. So, um, Anne and Francis, Francis and Anne, you both re released a book. I guess it was um, the end of last year. Is that correct? Uh, the middle of last year, about a year. Middle ago. of last year. year. I, I read it. I read it uh, somewhere end of last year, and um, I always love when I read books that immediately drive me to action and the action that uh, one of the actions that i took after reading your book was snoozing an email with uh, in my mailbox that appears every day in my mailbox as a reminder with your definition of leadership and what leadership is all about and what it's not about could you share with us and and, and our listeners um your perspective on leadership Yeah, so our orientation, this is Francis um, for the voices. Um, our orientation on leadership is that leadership is about making others better. So leadership is not about us. It's not about the leader. It's about making others better as a result of our presence and in a way that lasts into our absence. So it, we can state it simply, but we don't mean to suggest that it's always simple to enact because it's very there are lots of temptations as a leader to make it about the leader themselves and so we try to be really helpful um about how to shift the gaze from looking in a mirror to perhaps looking out a window uh onto the uh onto everybody else hmm. And th this is Anne. Francis is the one with the deep, velvety voice <laughs> that's made for <laughs> podcasting. Um, I'm the screechier one uh, to her right. But um, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the starting point for the book and the work that we do is that leadership is not about you as a leader. In fact, counterintuitively, you are the least important person in the room. And The, the challenge is that the more responsibility we get, the higher we rise in an organization, the harder it is to remember this because the stakes seem really high and it feels like all eyes are on you. And uh, if you get something wrong, it's a big deal. And so we become self-distracted at precisely the time when we need to become other distracted. And so we wrote this book to get that message out. Thomas, what would your 15 uh, years ago uh, CEO personality say when uh, two ladies come by and they say, hey, you as the CEO of the sugar company of 2,000 people, you are in fact the least important person in the room. What would yeah. you have said and what would you say now? Yeah, 
uh, honestly, it wouldn't even sound so provocative to me because it's for me, we, we talk a lot about the joy and pains of letting go of control, Nick. Mm -hmm. yeah, we even have that in our inspiration session. And I would now not even say that 15 years ago, uh, when starting as CEO, um, I was so ego-driven. I think I would have even already then agreed with Francis and Anne. The problem would have been, from my point of view, that I had a false sense of responsibility. And what I mean is, I had, I used to have this deep conviction that the way in which I think things should have been done, or to be more concrete, the way in which I would have done the things myself, I had the genuine belief that this is the way to go, the way, the best way for the people, the best way for the company, and so further and so forth. And that was a major, major hurdle to overcome. I say it again, the joys and pains of letting go of control. And that is also my question to uh, Anne and Francis. Imagine, imagine this CEO who is listening to you uh, and says, yes, yes, it's very true. It's not about me. No, it's about our customers, our people. I know it. However. This is the way exactly in which we should do it. I know it out of my heart. I'm convinced of it. And please let me go. What would you tell me? You want to go first or may sure. I? Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I would start with, I would in, invite the CEO to really look at the costs of that worldview. So that's a worldview where um, there's big trade-offs in innovation. There's big trade-offs in creativity. Uh, the the very best people in the world want nothing to do with you um, because they don't they won't show up around you and have the possibility to contribute. And soon enough, we would argue sooner rather than later, you're going to see the impact in company performance. So I would meet that CEO probably on on the things that she's thinking about in the middle of the night, and I would say, listen, like if. If, if you really have every single answer to every single problem that this company is going to confront uh, in the next year, keep doing what you're doing. Um, but if you need other people, um, then you're going to have to change your orientation on leadership. This is, a, yeah. <laughs> this, this is a powerful one. So what you are saying is you go on like that, you'll be either alone in a couple of years, or you will be uh, 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 surrounded by people and people with a mindset which you certainly do not want to have if you want this company su to succeed, right? Yeah, it's a very direct route to exhausted mediocrity for you as a leader and for the people around you. Very direct. And I, I think that's that's clear... Um like in a in a in a rational sense i mean most people understand what you're saying um so my follow up question would be then why is it then so difficult to implement 
I, I think especially because- when you it's easy when you when when it's in domains where you less identify with you know where you where you feel like your own uh self-value is is less um related to but in those domains that you really identify with like if these domains succeed then i am a good person or a good leader if these domains fail in those domains it's it's even if you understand what you're just saying it is so difficult and it's so easy to s- sabotage yourself as a leader. Although you know it, you will do the opposite of what is really needed and you will get your mediocre uh, results, right? So why is that so difficult? I think it, it appears not as one great big challenge that you can prepare for and overcome. It actually comes across your desk many times a day, many, um, you know, like just constantly. So you can't, you can't, it's not once and done. You really have to digest the message that you alone is less than the collection of the future version of everyone else that you have. And I think you, you, that's really at the, at the cornerstone of the calculus. But I'll give you one example of how it manifests. Somebody is doing something and you have a choice. Let's say they're doing something not the way you, not as well as you want. You have a choice. You can bring an evaluative mindset or a developmental mindset. We know for sure you bring a developmental mindset of that person, they and your organization will be better off. But it will be super tempting in the presence of stress or lack of sleep or you know time pressure. It will be super tempting to bring an evaluative mindset. And so it's it's in those moments you have to if you have to make a choice each time as opposed to the way you think manifests naturally in developmental over evaluative, it will happen. But if you're like really trying to white knuckle it each time, which means you don't re- you really do think you could beat the future version of everyone else. So that's what I would say is you have to do some deep thinking and then it will manifest in micro moments throughout the day. Definitely. I also think your question speaks to what's so liberating about this new way of leading, because as long as it's all about you, then the stakes really are existentially high, right? If the company fails, you're a failure. If the company wins, it's all about you. Our ego gets so exaggerated. But when you hand over the power to the collective, which is really what... It, it is what we're inviting people to do. Not only can the irony is you, your chances of succeeding are as an individual are so much higher. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about uh, more, more specific. Can you hear what me? You, I yeah, you want to get it out a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I went my I, I get the message here that there's a, a stable internet. I think I'm back. I think I'm back. Okay, um, that also uh, is a nice bridge towards um, what it all boils down to, which is trust, right? So um, it's it's all about the trust between uh, the team and the leader, the leader and the team. And what you so clearly explain are the the three dimensions of uh, trust being logic, empathy, and authenticity. 
Um, now, I find for myself that um, the empathy side is the is the one that starts to wobble the the first, especially when I'm stressed and. Uh, it's like I got so much work to do and now I get this phone call and now I need to <laughs> take the time. Um, so is this, if, with all the people and the CEOs that you work with, which one of those three dimensions, authenticity, logic, and empathy, which one, is there one that starts to wobble the most? And maybe you can also explain a little bit the three dimensions for our listeners so that they can catch up. Sure. So the three dimensions are authenticity is, you know, is it the real me? Do you get the sense it's the real me? And what, what we know to be true is that if I say something that I don't totally believe, you can tell by how I say it. Honestly, the research shows you can tell with the volume off. So if we're ever asked to deliver a message that our boss gave to us that we don't really believe, and we try to deliver that message to someone else, the cost of that will be the trust of everyone in the room, because they're not going to trust us if they don't if they don't have if they don't believe in our authenticity authenticity is necessary but not sufficient they people also have to perceive our logic as rigorous so self it has to make sense it has to be self reinforcing it has to be aligned which means we're going to need some amount of transparency into our logic and then the third one as you bring up is empathy which is do people like in the moment believe that i am concerned about them or do they in the moment think I'm concerned about me? Um, and so when people feel like we are in it for them and their development and we're present to their presence, empathy is never a problem. But when we get self-distracted um, and you said under the conditions of stress, it's a tempting time to become self-distracted. Under stress is precisely when your team needs you to be other distracted. Mm-hmm. And, and you're exactly right uh, with, I think, what you were suggesting with your question is that empathy wobbles are uh, the most common wobble among high-achieving, very analytic leaders in the workplace. So we see that very frequently among people who identify as you know, smart, ambitious, strategic. All those adjectives come sometimes with a dark side, um, and that is, is that there's an empathy wobble. Um, not just during stressful times, but even just moving through a workplace when you think of yourself as a very important person. In fact, in every meeting you're in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's really the sandbox where we experience each other's empathy wobbles most frequently when we're in the room with each other. Um, You know, the the biggest empathy killer right now is the phone. Yeah. Uh, Because we're constantly deciding that something is more important than the human being that's right in front of us. And that, again, that's the message of this whole podcast. It's not free. It is not free. Nope. Nope. And, and one of the reasons why the mail snoozes every day in my mailbox with your uh, definition of uh, meetings, um, make sure you empower everyone to get what they need you know, in a, in a meeting rather than what you want to get out of the meeting, um, which I found uh, fantastic uh, advice. But so indeed, so difficult uh, with the different distractions we have, um, mailbox, Slack, um, there's always a, a number of questions uh, to be answered. And uh, if, you, if you're not conscious in the moment, you just slip so easily and off you go. Um, off exactly. you go. 
Exactly. There's another another cost to that slipping. Um, Even if you're alone and you're slipping, all of that multitasking, all of the research shows that it doesn't lead to higher performance, but it does lead to greater exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, For uh, men and women, or does this apply only for men? (laughs) (laughs) Universal. Yeah, it's universal. Women tend to be better at it. Uh, but they are exhausted by it as well, even though it takes us longer to own it. Yeah, because what I, a, a question that also comes to mind is what I really like about the message you're bringing. Um, in my understanding, you're, you're also injecting a little bit of female energy into how we look at leadership, right? I mean, um, uh, it, it, was that on purpose or is that... Well, we're yeah. two women. Yeah, we're two women. So I think that um, I, it is, it obviously has highly influenced our view of the world and our experience of the workplace, often from the margins. I think it is a higher empathy, um, uh, lower ego view of leadership, uh, which you can code as female, uh, and we have no problem with that. I do think even if you take uh, you know, so-called masculine, evidence-first, results-oriented view of leadership, you're still going to get <laughs> to better results faster uh, if you take this approach than if you take a more traditional, if you interpret your role more traditionally. And I think for full disclosure, um, we represent pretty wide ends of the continuation of women so if you say you know <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty broad category I mean, of female i'm pretty high ego <laughs> i have an empathy wobble so i'm i'm not sure we pinpointed it with uh with gender per se mm-hmm. say and, and what is then your so we understand i think your perspective on leadership um what is then your perspective on strategy you know yeah. uh coming from the leader, the decisive leader who knows, has the vision, knows it all. Um, what is the alternative uh, in, uh, in, in an unleashed environment? Well, let's, let's say that the fantasy you just described is true. I'm just going to like, we're going to, we'll start there. We'll, we'll give you that there. We'll give you that. Yeah. Um, so we'll go to your fantasy. Um, the leader who knows it all is in very deep danger of it not manifesting in the hearts and minds of their employees. So while you know it all, you have to get it into my mind so it guides my discretionary behavior when you are not around. So my Mm -hmm. understanding of your strategy becomes crucial. And um, usually the leader who knows it all or the small team of strategists that know it all they're great at the design. They're not great at the um, manifestation throughout the organization. And so, and if you know it all and the rest of the organization isn't feeling it and experiencing it, it's the same as you're not knowing it all. So your strategy, your great strategy is limited by the how well you can communicate it. Really yeah, agree. The, the second half of the book, we focus on what we call leadership in your absence. Now we wrote the book pre-pandemic, so we didn't realize uh, how important that second half of the book was going to be. 
but it really is about how do you lead and empower people even when you're not in the room. And even when you are an all-powerful CEO in a leader-centric organization, you're still not in the room most of the time. So we like to say that culture and strategy tell us what to do when the CEO isn't in the room. And that's a shorthand way to think about it. The other way to think about it, if you flip it around, is how do you scale your impact to all of those people who, you know, I mean, when you start talking about big organizations, you're not seeing most of the people that you want to influence most of the time. And the superpower you have is a really clear strategy. As Francis said, figuring out how to reach inside the hearts and minds with a very clear campaign on how to communicate that strategy and using your culture as a true competitive asset, not just this thing that you've inherited from you know, the previous generation of leaders. You really have an opportunity to design it and unleash it the way you do other advantages. Yeah, and, and in, inspire the organization a bit like influencers on social media, right? They, they, influencers create their own story and those who get a lot of followers to consume that content. So they, uh, the followers that inject it in their heart, they want to follow that leader. So it's a, I see a similarity there with how leadership is changing uh, in organizations or in, in your definition. Um, yeah, Thomas, I wanted to ask Hopefully, you. Nick, um, and Francis, how do you see the topic freedom? Freedom for my people to do the job uh, in a way which which is according to their passions, which is according to their specific talents, and which may not be uh, aligned with how I would do it exactly. How do you see this freedom element? Oh, I think it's uh, well. I'll start because I have a personally have a freedom fetish <laughs> uh, and a need for. We have a colleague. Is... Uh, we won't mention his name, but he also has a freedom fetish. <laughs> We are familiar yeah. with the with the with the symptoms. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I we it it comes into the story I think in a couple of different places. So one, first of all, many of your best employees will also have such a freedom fetish, <laughs> and um, if you want to keep them around, then you really have to design jobs uh, around that element of their personalities. A lot of the most creative people in the world are wired that way. So that that's one piece. It's maybe even the smallest piece. The other piece is that it is your core obligation as a leader to inject that sense of freedom and liberation into the whole population uh, mm -hmm. in order to drive the results and outcomes you want. We're no longer living in a world where uh, it's easy to predict the future, right? No one saw <laughs> this last year that we experienced coming. And so, you know, we're now living at a time where comfort with uncertainty is a really essential leadership skill and pushing decision rights out to your team and giving people the freedom to respond to local conditions on the ground or in their markets or in their team is a really important way to survive and thrive in this new reality. And then I'm going to put the balance on that so i don't have a freedom fetish i don't i don't think i do it, it, no you have other issues sweetheart so i will also say that 
um, in my experience, many people, perhaps not the most creative, many people thrive in the presence of constraints. So when we say job design and things like that, that really is setting the constraints. It's putting up the, the, for the bowling analogy, it's putting the bumpers up to let people explore within it. But we have to curate the constraints really well. And so the, the, if you have a, a group of people, it's like the orchestration of all of the different job designs. But there are many people who need to know what the boundaries are. And that's also our obligation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thomas, that that's, um, reminds me of the, a metaphor we often use when we want to explain the concept of freedom. As like if you have children and you want to let them play freely on the playground and next to the playground, there's a very busy road with a lot of traffic. The only way as a parent you can let them play freely on that playground is when there are uh, very clear fences around the playgrounds so that you don't have to check every two seconds whether your kids are okay because they can experience the freedom and do whatever they want within those clear um, boundaries. Um, I I think that's a a great metaphor. Now, I was the kid who was offended by the fence (laughs) and thought I couldn't handle the, the judgment of knowing when to stop. But again, yeah. I'm an extreme version. You're going to have both of us in your organization. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. More of her. yeah. We, we, <laughs> we call that. She's more problems. Yeah, she's more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to cause more trouble. Um, I just want to read, I mean, just to reinforce how uh, important this is, I just want to read the opening quote from our from our book, which is that this is from Toni Morrison, who's, you know, arguably among the greatest writers, well, not arguably at all, among the greatest writers in American history, uh, who once said, just remember that your real job is that if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower someone else. Mm -hmm. And in the work that we do, we really use that as our North Star because we believe it, it is that magical equation that brings an organization and a community and a society to life. Mm. Wonderful. Now, uh, Francis, and you have already realized that all the four of us here in this podcast are more or less on the same page uh, with a different history, uh, maybe even with different reasons. But I would like to know from you, how do you see the general consciousness and realization on executive and CEO level today, and how do you how do you see do you see there a certain development, a certain enlightening happening within the last couple of years? Um, we certainly see a generational enlightening. So the, for the future leaders, we're wildly optimistic because what we're talking about just seems to be in the hearts and minds of, of people that are 25 to 35 with no education mm-hmm. required. Um, I think that there is a, um, the, because of the events of particularly of the last year, the pandemic and racial reckoning and social um social justice and things like that, there has been, I think in my lifetime, the fastest evolution I have ever seen um, of people realizing that it's 
about other people, A, and that the, it's about other people who are not at all like me. And I think that's the really powerful part. So even Thomas, when you spoke earlier and you said you wanted people to do things and you wanted them to do them just like you, that would maybe work if they were just like you, but it's a disaster <laughs> if they're not. So, and this manifests itself um, with race and gender and any kind of difference that people represent. And so I'm seeing a lot of senior executives who are confronting this in a new way. I'm not saying they haven't in their lives before, but but confronting it in its magnitude in a new way, which is super promising to us because the, the sanding to surface the question, that's the hardest part. There are great thinkers. There are like, we... People know what to do, but nobody's ever been able to generate the will to do it. And this last year, with all of its tragedy, has um, generated the will in far more people than I have seen um, in my working life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think this is, we are encouraged by this moment that there is, that it is a moment of awakening. I think the, you know, the, the counter is that this is one of the reasons we felt like we needed to write the book is we wanted to move that awakening <laughs> along mm-hmm. if we could. I will say that to your point about generation, um, it, anyone who has someone who's a Gen Z who identifies as Gen Z on the payroll has no choice but to go <laughs> on this journey or nobody's mm-hmm. going to come to work. Like they are not kidding. And it's a, you know, it's not a, it's a generation that takes itself seriously and has earned the right to do so. Yeah. Um, and the old ways of working are not going to work for them. So thank goodness. And thank goodness. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have a choice to kind of get to get on board and to understand it and what this movement and worldview is about. And we do think the book is a very kind way you know it is a very gentle way to allow yourself to be persuaded i think there are there are trials by fire that are going to be much worse than sitting <laughs> for a few hours and reading this book so if you are on the fence um it's actually a pretty it's a pretty good step to take because i think we will we effectively make the case that um, you will be better off. You think you won't be. <laughs> um, you you think you won't be get, giving when it feels like you are giving up some power and control. But we promise you, on the other side is is a world that you want to live in. And it's better to curl up with the book than read the newspaper headline and have to react. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. And and for me, the message uh, in short is. If you want to be relevant, also in five years, also in 10 years, if you want to have the talent and continue to get the talent in the house, which you know you need in order to be relevant also in 10 years, there is practically no choice, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think um, I think the stakes are even higher than relevance. If, if you want to exist as an organization in 10 years. I do have... You got to come over to our side of the fence. We'll bring you there so gently. Oh, it's so fun. We'll make you laugh. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, with regards to that, um, what we know is because if I, I, I mean, uh, our um, definition of unbossing and what I read in the book, Unleashing, as Thomas mentioned, we are fully on the same page. And what we experience in uh, helping leaders and companies is that, okay, so they, they, they are inspired, they want to start a journey, but they still apply that same mechanistic perspective on the outcome of the journey. So they say, okay, let's do this. And I want to see, I want to, I, I want, it's a project. And in three months, six months time, it has to be done. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you guys approach that? Um, yeah. The fact that this is a transformation first and foremost of the people in the organization, a personal transformation. And as a result of the personal transformation, the organization will transform. And this process takes, there are obviously short-term results, but the process takes years. Um, so we how, have a bit of a counter view on that in from our direct experience. The good news is the process doesn't take years if you do it as your top priority and don't um, make it a top priority and then a low priority, top priority, low priority. But if you condense it as a top priority, we find that it takes less than a year. So, um, but many organizations don't have the stomach to do that because, um, but then what happens is it's really important until it's the end of the quarter and then it's really important until this and that. And so then you've injected cynicism and you've actually made it harder. And that's why it takes so long. But if you, and when we went, so like when I went to Uber, um, when they were in a very bad shape in June of 2017, nine mm -hmm. months later, one of the most, what people were calling the most toxic culture, um, the culture was completely turned around in nine months. And um, we did it, you know, and we describe it in the book on how we yep. did it. I think if we took longer, we wouldn't have done it as thoroughly. So it's a, the way that's a really about, interesting point. Yeah. So here's the way to think about it. You need momentum. It's like the speed bumps. If you get to a speed bump without momentum, you stop and then somebody's got to push you over it. So these, these require steady momentum. And when you have steady momentum, you get to fly by. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but what happens in many organizations is, they either get distracted or someone gets in their ear. Are you sure? Like, are you really sure? And then you'll send some mixed messages along the way because you like lost your nerve or something. You sure these, these Gen Zers are right? <laughs> you know, I heard a story about a guy who told a guy and it didn't go well. And so you should be nervous. And we start taking these like, you know, mysterious little anecdotal you know whispers um, yeah or, was or, also or it's point. one of 15 priorities yeah. yeah 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 but nick that is at the point when you said okay this is top priority uh until the next acquisition comes around uh this is top priority um until the new product comes finally out and there you just said it there you create even cynicism uh mm -hmm. within the organization uh, uh, which means, yeah, flavor of the day. Um, uh, uh, yesterday, it was Six Sigma, then it was business reengineering, and now it's unleashing. Yeah? And, and here's the thing. Once you, like, once you turn the culture around, it makes acquisitions better. It makes new product development better. Like, it's there, it stays, and it makes everything else better. So there's no calculus 
in which it's a good idea to slow it down. None. Um, and yet. We, we agree. We agree. Yeah. We agree. Um, and Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm already burning, burning with the famous question, but... Uh, go for it, Thomas. Go for I let, it. I, I, I let you talk. So, ladies, this, these are such powerful messages. And I'm sitting here as a CEO of my still leashed company and boss company with all the nice silos and functional um, fiefdoms. But I want to go for it. I'm convinced. I know it's the best for the people. I know it's the best for the company. And I want to start with it tomorrow. And now the question to you is, what can I do? Which would be the biggest mistake which guarantees me not to succeed despite all my passion for it, all my good intentions? Let me go first. Yes, please. Uh, I would. My answer is create a task force. Promise. <laughs> 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 yeah, the un the unleashing task force, the and they're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, which is our and and I don't mean to disparage task forces, and there are exceptional task forces that get things done, but in most organizations, it's where ideas go to die and be marginalized. Um, <laughs> And it's also exactly to Francis's earlier point, a way of not moving with urgency uh, around a problem that, again, is existential. It, it will make or break your organization. Well, that just threw mine right out. Like, it's so much better, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm competitive. So let's see. I think um, if I was going to, if you had all of that, what could you do that would make it not work? I would say that... Um, Speak differently in private than you do in public. Mm -hmm. Also a very good mm -hmm. one. But that, that, that are both golden ones. I just yeah. really, I, I, I was cracking up when I, when I heard the task force. It's a <laughs> create, create an unbossing committee. Create an unbossing committee. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And what you'll see, I mean, a beautiful thing, you'll see a lot of organizations now that have the hybrid work task force or the digital <laughs> task force. And it's because the senior leaders are terrified. They want to go back to the way it was. Um, their Gen Z workers are not. They want to go forward to the future. And um, many CEOs, not all, but many CEOs think they're at task force away from getting their way and we can just go ahead and skip to the end of that movie. Mm -hmm. They're not. Yeah. Does that does not end well, or it doesn't end in sustainable and meaningful change. Yeah. Ladies, this is inspiring. And Nick, I don't know how you feel, but uh, for me, it would be the biggest pleasure to, to start a journey together with you uh, uh, tomorrow. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Uh, I was I was already um, inspired after the first pages of the book. So uh, and uh, this conversation with Anne and Francis has uh, surpassed my expectations, and um, I'm just so grateful at this moment uh, to be able to be to 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 connect with you. Um, I'm just so uh, 
uh, yeah, grateful also for being alive in the same moment uh, in the evolution of uh, people like you are now, Thomas, and like uh, uh, Anne and Francis, uh, and to be able to to bring this worldview and this 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 uh, perspective on organizations and work uh, forward because society really, really, really needed. Um, uh, the numbers of um, burnouts and depressions and all of that are so disastrous. Um, what do you think, Anne and Francis? I sometimes say that I, I find it surprising that um, um, we demonstrate against corona rules, uh, we demonstrate uh, for climate change, we demonstrate for gender equality, and at the same time, uh, the status of human capital in organizations is is really bad. Uh, it's a place where we, although it's a place where we spend half of our life, maybe more, but there so far are not many demonstrations yet. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's part of why we're attracted to the work because it is the place where most of us spend most of our time. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's a place where you can run really powerful and meaningful experiments and really change lives quickly. So we love the lever of the organization and leadership. The leadership conversation is where we can come and really think about these questions. Uh, and they're tied to outcomes, which is also really powerful when, um, you know, we're living in a moment where unleashing your people is the most direct route to better performance as an organization. And, and, there's, and there's not an organization out there who can't start the journey tomorrow if they want to. Uh, well, and, 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 that is, yeah, and that is even the, the, uh, 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 so important. But there you see also, uh, this is an interesting difference between Nick and myself. Um, Nick wants to unboss the world. And... Uh, I only want to do it with our clients because I want them to win. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my target is that We're there are still... We're Nick. <laughs> <laughs> We're on team Nick. That's what we'll wear to the next one. <laughs> okay. Okay, Thomas, even though we are, um, yeah, a couple of weeks after the conversation with uh, Francis and Anne, the co-authors of the book Unleashed, the Unapologetic Leader's Guide to Empowering Everyone Around You, I still feel super, super excited. And I'm in on a daily practice um, using things that I learned from them in our conversation and or uh, read in their book. <laughs> Nick, I see it happening. For example, the triangle of trust, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The 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 it's such a it's such a simple model that trust is built upon three dimensions. Uh, are you sitting together with someone who's authentic? Do you believe that his reasoning is logical and uh do you have the feeling that that person is also caring about your success? And so whenever I feel um, that I'm not 100% trusting someone, it makes it very easy to identify in which of those three dimensions the relationship starts wobbling. 
um, and and which which helps me then to 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 take action or to say something to 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 restore the trust or or, or further build on it. So I really love it, and I, I advise all our listeners to to look in the book and uh, and and read it in detail. Very good, Nick. And what do we see in many executive teams today, which are not unbossed as they should be? Where is the element which is missing? It's certainly not logic. I don't even think it's empathy. It's authenticity. Mm-hmm. It's authenticity which is missing when they are too political to each other and when they are sitting together with each other like the United Nations full assembly. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Everybody as uh, ambassador of his or her field, his or her tribe, not being authentic, not talking openly about mistakes and being too political uh, with each other. Right. So, and the- that's a that's a nice bridge to the second uh, key takeaway that is that um we kind of created organizations where the leaders are the most important person in the room uh we symbolize this with uh, the best parking seat the biggest offices and so on and so i empathize much more with those leaders now after this conversation because the entire status and organization really makes it all about them you know the context in which they work is is it makes it very very existential almost and i think any human being within that context would tend to try to control everything that's going on because it feels so important and like like francis said the stakes are so high that it's almost human nature to try to con- control the situation uh, as as a matter of life and death, so that made me empathize much more with leaders today after this conversation. Can you uh, resonate with that? I, uh, I'm I'm very happy to hear that, Nick. Because when we always say it's not all about you, then it's not that we are the whole time talking about ego trips of leaders. We talk a lot about leaders who are in a situation who feel this responsibility on their shoulder and who are deeply convinced, now it gets difficult, Nick, they are deeply convinced that they really know what's right for it and that everybody in the company should not only do as they say, but also do it exactly in the way in which they would do themselves. And then we come into the trap. And from my point of view, it's not an ego trap. You know what I mean? No, it definitely doesn't. It doesn't have always have to be an ego trap. It's it's really the sense of responsibility um, that you feel when you are in that specific context, and everybody is looking also a, a little bit at you. Um, which is, by the way, Thomas, a great next step to uh, the third key takeaway. That is that um, you need other people to create value. You know, you're you're not in it on your own. And what I learned from this conversation is that it's one thing to design a great vision, mm-hmm. but that's that's not even half of the work. That's only 10% of the work. Mm-hmm. 90% is manifesting that vision in some clear messages into the hearts and minds 
of the people in the organization who are different than you, who have a different lifestyle, different perspectives, different backgrounds. And so they all have opinions and visions. And so the biggest challenge is how do you translate your vision into theirs in a way that it's everybody is looking at things kind of in the same way. So, and what is the magic word, Nick? It's communication. Mm -hmm. And now, what do we know? What do we see? You and I, do we have a shortage of highly intellectual capable leaders? Not at all. Not at all. All the CEOs which we meet are highly capable, intellectually, truly understanding their business, having a vision. No doubt about it. What we do have and what we do see is a scarcity of brilliant communicators. Brilliant communicators. And this, Nick, this major shift towards unbossing and liberation, this will be a tough one for the intellectually brilliant, but unfortunately not very talented in communication, leaders. Mm -hmm. This is the major shift which I see happening. And I have seen it, and you as well, uh, uh, Nick, uh, in, in, in my own experience. At the beginning, we all tend to have intellectual, brilliant messages, and we are so proud of ourselves when we have put it on a nice slide. It's very logic. And then we find out, Jesus Christ, maybe two or three percent of the audience understood it. Yeah, maybe I have to repeat it. Gosh, maybe I even have to repeat it in fewer words. And there it comes. And this is what I see and 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 what we also experience as the one of the biggest, biggest hurdles in every unbossing journey. It's communication. One hundred percent true, and 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 funny enough, uh, yesterday I, I, we were in a workshop, uh, and uh, the vision was written down in a in a fifteen page document. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. If, uh, imagine that I that guess. you share. Yeah, this is the vision, fifteen pages, and uh, yeah, everyone yeah. will will take something else out of that document, and uh, you will not manifest it at all in the hearts and minds of the people. So absolutely. To wrap up, Thomas, I think in terms of biggest mistakes, we identified, or Francis and Anne identified two, two big ones. I'm uh, going to start off with the first one and I'll, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you hit the home run with the last one. Yeah. The first one is, which is also a message of hope, not making it a top priority not making unbossing or unleashing your people a top priority. And they, they testify that they see many organizations where it's communicated as a top priority, but then the next month, another big strategic project comes in and, um, um, and this yeah, is amazing. The, yeah. And we, these, we mixed, are, these mixed messages re are really a bottleneck uh, for change. However, if you do make it a top priority and the ladies were quite ambitious, they believe you can have big results and big shifts in one year, which is ambitious. I tend to believe them. It's true based on our experiences. I think the journey, 
the real, the full journey takes two, three years, but you will have big results in the first year. So not making a top priority or making it a top priority until the next month and then another top priority comes up. And we have seen it before. We have mm -hmm. seen it, Nick. Now, of course, what did I love the most? The task force. Yes, we make it a priority now. And by the way, we have already a task force installed. They are working together with the consultants and they will come up with a brilliant concept, which we will in true, in due time, present to you all as our new organizations. Boom, boom, and gone is your unbossing project. And gone is the belief of everybody in more freedom, autonomy, and agility. And you can start all over again next time with better consultants. Yeah, and I like um, the solution or the approach that you often add to that. That is, once you start communicating about unbossing, you need to show that you mean it because it takes time mm. before people a get it and b believe that you're <laughs> that you're serious. So it takes um, time. We can talk about half a year, Nick. Talk mm -hmm. about nine months, Nick. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about I don't know which efforts which you have to which you have to undertake if you really come from a hierarchical post environment until they really believe you, they mean it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic conversation, fantastic key insights, um, uh, inspiring, motivating, and uh, and also funny. We laughed a lot with those two ladies. Fan really, really fantastic, fantastic human beings and uh, a very similar purpose to ours. Well, that's it for now, Thomas. Now we're off to the next one. Exactly. And looking forward to this release, Nick. Mm-hmm.